welcome back to Butter With That, episode 100! One, zero, zero, episode 100! Triple digits. We can you quit guys now. remember celebrating the 100th day of school? Yeah. Oh, 100th day. Yeah, and we like used to have to do like or like bring stuff in, like bring a hundred blank or something. Oh, I, we never did that. Oh, we my had. My mom, huh? Go ahead, Tori. I was just gonna say one time my mom was like, "Oh, here's an easy one. We'll draw a hundred flowers, and you bring those into school." And then it's like the middle of the night, and my dad comes home from work, and my mom's like, "Get over here and start drawing flowers. <laughs> we still have like thirty to go." <laughs> Senior seniors at my high school, we had hundred days till graduation. Oh, and yeah. That was a big blowout. Um, but like it was like either a big party, it was like each class did something different. Either they'd throw a big party in school or no one would show up to school and there'd be a party off the site. <laughs> did you this is totally off topic, but did you guys have a senior skip day? That was it. hundred days was senior oh, skip maybe. day. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we had a senior skip Was day. I not cool enough to know about senior <laughs> skip day? <laughs> Very possible. <laughs> well, for all you listeners, we did bring something in honor of our 100th episode. We are bringing you 100 movies. Yeah. We have each compiled 20 of our favorite slash best slash highest recommendations we can offer uh, to make a list of 100 movies that we think our lovely listeners should watch. But before we get into that, I hear that Dave has a surprise for everybody. And this is a surprise to us, too. That I do. Yeah. And this uh, kind of, you know, in honor of uh, our being uh, being on the air for 100 episodes, that's a little over two and a half years now. Um, and it felt like, you know, it's, it's time for something a little bit new. So uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the uh, brand new and updated Butter With That theme song, which goes as follows. Yeah. Yay! Oh, it's so great. It's great. A little more rocking than it had been in the past since, you know, we're pushing into a new year and uh, hopefully it's going to be a fun one. So I uh, figure, well, why not get rocking and do something a little bit, a uh, little bit more ruckus for moving forward. So uh, unless you guys think otherwise, that I think it's going to be uh, the new theme. I like it. I, I love, like it. It. love it. We're going to rock right. hard in 2021. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, we do have 100 movies to talk about, so I just say let's dive into our list, and we're just going to go alphabetically, starting with Christine. So, Christine, why don't you kick us off with uh, starting our, um, beginning our 100 movies that we're going to put into the Butter With That movie vault. Uh, before we uh, before we jump in real quick, sorry, just want to preface for our listeners, these are not necessarily in order, not necessarily the best 20 movies of all time ever, but these are 20 movies that speak to us, that we think people should watch, that we think should get a higher profile, and these could also be movies that are incredibly famous and truly some of the best that cinema has to offer. So with that said, Christine. Well, also to be clear, we don't have a vault. Like Disney has a vault. Like we don't have the authority to like put 100 of these movies like away until we decide otherwise. So. We should have that authority. I mean, we should. I mean, yeah. Nobody can ever watch these movies again unless we say so. I just don't know if like we can get sued by like Disney or someone by being like, you can't put the movie in a vault. I'm like, oh, okay. We'll call it the movie chamber if there's a copyright. Oh, on nice. Movie vault. There you yeah, go. I like that. Yeah. 
I know how to circumvent those uh, yeah. copyright issues. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, Christine, why don't you open the door to Butter With That's movie chamber? I would love to open the door to Butter With That's movie chamber uh, by just throwing in a couple words about the concept of a top 20. I have never done a top 20 for movies before, so this was quite difficult. Uh, but it also got me thinking about how my relationship with movies chain has changed so much over the course of my life. And so gathering a top 20 was challenging because I am sure that movies that I will be putting on my top 20, I might watch five years down the road and be like, this is not a top 20. Um, and even doing better with that, I've also or like reacquainted myself with movies I used to love and then realized they're too, total garbage or the other way around. So top 20, it's evolving. It'll change. And uh, it was definitely, I'll have to do a lot of revisitations to my, to my top lists. All right. So to start off, uh, I'll just go at the top of my list, which this was no particular order, but I think fitting. Top of my list was Basil of Baker Street, The Great Mouse Detective. People have heard me mention this on the podcast, and so it had to go in my top 20. Great animated movie and a, a mouse protagonist for every age. I hope that's the tagline on the VHS cover. A mouse protagonist for every age, yeah. <laughs> awesome. This movie I have rewatched many times, and I always love it. So. It's a great one. Uh, the first movie on my list, I've also rewatched many times. And with my list, I kind of just sat down, opened my phone's notes, my phone's note app, and just kind of wrote down 20 movies that kind of came to my head and then sort of took some away, put some in. And so the first movie that popped into my head when thinking about my 20, you know, top 20 movies was Jurassic Park. Uh, we covered it on the podcast as my favorite movie. There's really not that much to say other than that this movie is always firing on all cylinders, special effects, acting, themes, dinosaurs, and Jeff Goldblum. What else does one really need? So Jurassic Park was my first pick. And also a previous episode. That's one that we've covered in the past. So after this uh, 100, you folks can go back through the catalog and listen. And actually, there's going to be a couple of those as we go through. Um, I think we highlighted it. I want to say there's like 17 or 18 that we've uh, we've actually already talked about and others that we'll be bringing to the fore in the future, I'm sure. Uh, one of which I'm excited about, my first pick, uh, which is uh, 1988's Akira. Um, it's perhaps the biggest non-Studio Ghibli anime touchstone of the 80s. Uh, it's a mind-bending deep dive into a dystopian 2019, if you can imagine that. Um, some really excellent world building, a memorable cast of characters, and some of the finest motion picture animation in the industry's history. So uh, I would say absolutely one to check out and a standout favorite for, for me for a long time. For my top 20, I actually did put them into categories. I decided to pick like, well, what movies do I gravitate towards? And so I have one that are kind of like movies that get me to my soul, like really understand me, then feel good movies, period pieces, and finally action movies. So in the my soul movies, the first one I have is my favorite movie of all time, which is Big Fish. This one is just a breathtaking movie and it makes me sob in the way it's like, <laughs> where I like wheeze at the very end. So anything that makes me cry so hard I'm wheezing, I think I would recommend. And another previous episode. Yeah. Um, I think for my list, I kind of went in like the 
like 20 movies that have been like important to me for some reason, like throughout my life, as I've been realizing, like, I kind of, I feel like it's only in recent years I've thought of myself as a movie person when really like I have been a movie person for like my whole life. It's just like, they hit me differently. So there's definitely some stuff on here that like, based on the kind of movies that I really gravitate towards now, like I would probably guess people wouldn't think of initially. That being said, my first movie on my list is uh, 1982's John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, which we have also talked about on this podcast. Uh, One of my favorite movies, um, definitely one of the movies that got me into the horror genre um, and has fucking amazing practical effects thanks to Rob Boutine. So... I think along the lines uh, of what Tori was talking about and, and uh, Sam is t- as far as thinking about movies and either aspects of one's life or like movies uh, and their relationship with us, like as we grow up and change, I think I basically categorized mine from different stages in my life. So I started with Basil Baker Street because that was a childhood fave. So my number two was also another childhood fave of mine. Um, which is James and the Giant Peach. Uh, I I love um, the stop motion. I love the the costume or like the outfits of all the characters. And that movie was always so transporting. And um, that that huge who who doesn't want to live in a peach? So that was also another childhood childhood fave. I'm glad Tori brought the idea of like not realizing that you were a movie person because my next pick, I don't know if I would have seen this if I, you know, we didn't do this podcast, if I didn't get more clued into cinema. And that is 2018's The Favorite, starring Olivia Coleman, Rachel Weiss, and Emma Stone. Um, and director Yorgos Lanthimos, who also directed The Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Like he's really a director that I've really fallen in love with. And I think the trio of Coleman, Weiss, and Stone, I think are one of the best cinematic trios I've ever seen. And this was a small, you know, like a, you know, not a big blockbuster movie that I saw in theaters that really makes me miss the theatrical experience, not just for the blockbusters, but for the work that can be done on a smaller scale movie. Uh, so the favorite is my second thing. Well, mine is uh, one that, again, we've covered before uh, this early on into the podcast. That's uh, 1979's Alien. Uh, it's Ridley Scott's iconic horror sci-fi masterpiece that boasts a fittingly claustrophobic set, amazing creature design, and one of the most beloved sci-fi heroines of all time via Sigourney Weaver. Uh, I've said it before in our previous episode, and I'll say it again. Uh, it's one of those movies on my short list for basically perfect films, and uh, I would recommend it to anybody, although it's uh, pretty intense. Going from a perfect film to perhaps not so perfect. Um, (laughs) This is why I love that we get to pick this list because this movie would probably not show up literally anywhere else on a top 100 movies to watch. But um, my second pick is Over the Top. I love this movie so, so much. It reminds me of my dad. And um, I have been talking about this movie forever and no one has really ever seen it before. And I hadn't seen it in years and I really am grateful to this podcast for like reintroducing me to it because it is just so pure and beautiful and I love it. So my next movie is one that also you would probably see on most 100 lists, but I have to mention it. Uh, 1972's Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. Part one, not two. Part one is better. Fucking fight me on it. (laughs) Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, I come from like an Italian family and this was like a movie like I watched with my mom and my sisters and my mom would make like big Italian meals. And so it definitely has this like warm, fuzzy feeling. And, um, you know, Michael Corleone was one of my early crushes as a child. So there you go. Of course. (laughs) Well, speaking of family and early crushes, the next movie is uh, Jane Campion's Bright Star. Um, this is a movie that makes me think of my mom, makes me, it's a beautiful period piece starring Ben Wishaw and Abby Cornish about, speaking of crushes, John Keats. <laughs> I feel like this movie just embodies like teenage love of just like, well, my teenage love of just like poetry and just uh. mid 19th century British shit. Uh, it's I love a you, Christine. gorgeous movie and it's definitely my top, my top 20 because I love the movie and I love the director, Jane Campion. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, yeah, an ode to my teenage angst. <laughs> Did you have a poster of John Keats on your wall? Like instead of NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, it was just like John <laughs> No, Keats. I, I definitely had a Backstreet Boys <laughs> poster. I was, Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I could, I could handle those two, uh. Good. In sync together. Oh, in sync. No, I was about. I was hey. About. <laughs> uh, speaking of Backstreet Boys, did you hear what Brian did? Oh, tell me. Not to get political, but Brian uh, signed up for that uh, alt right website or app or whatever it is, Parlor. He was like, "Come talk to me there." Yikes! No, Bry guy. Oh no. Oh, sorry. In sync for life. Yeah, for real. Uh, well, you know. Well, on a happier 90s note, um, <laughs> pick, which I think definitely deserves to be in the top 100, you know, probably most top 100 lists, is Office Space. Um, Mike Judge's comedy from, you know, late 90s. We covered it on the podcast before. Um, age and, you know, this movie feeling dated, I think, has only made it funnier, um, which is not something you can say for most older movies. Nice. Well, speaking of 90s comedies um, and offbeat ones at that, uh, my next pick was Being John Malkovich, uh, which with a cerebral and borderline insane screenplay by Charlie Kaufman and the directorial chops of Spike Jones, Being John Malkovich may be the best entry point for viewers trying to explore Kaufman's world askew worldview, a quirky comic romp with twists and turns from start to finish and some fittingly innovative cinematography. That's one that uh, I went back and revisited for the first time this year in a long time, and uh, was really blown away. Um, so one that I would definitely recommend, at least uh, the one I would first recommend of his to watch. And one of Cameron Diaz's best performances. She's great. Well, this movie does not have Cameron Diaz, and I think that's probably a good thing. Oh. Um, <laughs> but my, I mean, come on, when I say this pick, it's kind of obvious. So uh, my next recommendation is Beetlejuice. Uh, I don't mean to have two Tim Burton picks like immediately. It, it is what it is. Um, this movie is awesome. It's one of the ones that I can watch over and over again and never get tired of. The scenery, the effects, everything about this movie, um, I'm sure people would argue with me about this um but much like dave feels alien is a perfect movie i feel that way about beetlejuice it really i rewatched it like a couple months ago i was like i didn't remember how phenomenal this that the movie also the speaking of young crushes young alec baldwin ooh, ooh, ooh. damn oh, and winona yeah i mean my goodness mm-hmm. also winona <laughs> 
I, I appreciate that though, Sam, because while you were like, like kind of just picking, you know, like movies because you care about them, I was like agonizing over the fact that I couldn't allow myself to have like more than one film from one director because I've like <laughs> made that a rule in my head, any list I do. So, um, but I, you know, it worked out okay. Um, the next film I have is another comedy uh, from 1975, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail from uh, Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. Um, I grew up watching Monty, po- my, uh, Monty Python, whether like I actually understood the jokes or not, I would watch it with my parents and I thought it was hilarious. Um, I've seen this movie like a thousand times and I think it is one still one of the funniest movies I've ever seen um, and kind of just gets funnier the older I get and the more the jokes make sense to me. Um, yes, it's just <laughs> delightful. I was so glad when I saw you put that because we had a whole spreadsheet to make sure we didn't overlap. And I was going to put that and I was so glad, Tori, that I saw you put it. Mm-hmm. Well, not too many comedic elements in this one, but this goes back to my sort of family period piece uh, favorite. And it is 2004's Pride and Prejudice. Um, this is a movie I wouldn't maybe a year ago have necessarily put in my top 20. But when I, I think we talked a little bit about this earlier during, during the pandemic, uh, what movies we went straight to as comfort movies. And this was a movie that I watched as a comfort movie at the beginning of the pandemic. And it is so beautiful. It is stunning. Um, Joe Wright just knows how to set up a shot and incorporate just beautiful costumes. And I think Kara Knightley's performance is is really suited for, um, for the character of Elizabeth Bennet. I did rewatch the miniseries and I really liked it too. Uh, so Sam and Tori, if we want to do that, <laughs> that pride and prejudice battle, I think we'd have some good discussions, but any day. this is, this is definitely the Yeah. It's definitely a truncated version, but it's, it's beautiful. Um, I recently took a quiz to to, uh, to finally answer which Pride and Prejudice character I actually was, and the response that I got was Mr. Darcy, and I was flabbergasted. So uh, perhaps when we do that episode, we'll have to take those quizzes. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's really funny. <laughs> uh, so my pick, I am by far not the first, nor I'll be the last person to praise this movie, but that is Bong Joo-ho's Parasite. Um, winner, Oscar winner, best picture. This movie's phenomenal. If you haven't seen it yet, you really deserve to see it. You know, you treat yourself to see it. This movie is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and beware of basements, I think is the main message that that movie shares. And capitalism, I guess, too. No, it's just about basements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, my next pick um, doesn't so much involve basements, but... Um, yeah, there's no way to transition out of that. Um, <laughs> but it is 1997's uh, Boogie Nights. Uh, this is a P.T. Anderson-directed uh, film, and uh, his ensemble cast bring life and humanity to a variety of characters struggling to keep up with the changing world of early 1980s porn films. Um, it's brilliantly shot and edited, loaded with convincingly human performances, uh, equal parts humor and despair, and it's probably the best stepping stone into the filmography, in my opinion, of one of America's best auteur filmmakers. Um, holds up for me every time. Uh, devastating and, and hilarious, but uh, one that I return to often, so would recommend it. Although uh, not for kids. Don't, don't watch it with the family. I think when you mentioned porn, we kind of... <laughs> <probably> <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
This movie, I would say, is probably also not for kids, but not for the same reason, I think, because it's a little bit of a slow burn. Um, And so my next choice is Jim Jarmusch's Patterson. This one really surprised me when I watched it. Um, You know, I watched The Dead Don't Die, and I was (laughs) very much... I have since watched it again, and I have changed my mind. I do like the movie more than I thought, but I was expecting also something very slow and, and, and nothing happening. And was pleasantly surprised with how much I really loved this movie. It's a very like small and I keep I keep describing everything like this, but beautiful and like quaint movie. And I would say that the antagonist is a dog, which you know where else do you get that? So <laughs> definitely give it a watch. Plus Adam Driver and poetry. I mean, what more could you want? Well, Garrett and I are going to be watching Cujo soon, so if we're talking dog antagonists. <laughs> I was also going to say Spike Lee's Summer of Sam. That would count. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fair. Um, so th- I was struggling to figure out what movie I wanted to pick for this particular actress, but um, I decided to go with um, Blake Edwards' 1961 film, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, I am a huge Audrey Hepburn fan. I grew up on her movies. Um, I went to school dressed up like uh her character in um uh, my fair lady one time <laughs> like big fan of audrey hepburn um and i picked breakfast at tiffany's probably because this is one of the ones i've watched the most um but specifically i just like really love her in it there's some unfortunate parts of this movie including mickey rooney's like awful like really incredibly racist uh asian character that he plays it's it's unforgivable to be fair. Um, but Audrey plays such like an interesting, complicated character in this movie and all of her, you know, her, all of her performances are amazing, but this one really stands out to me and she, you know, she's just fucking impeccable in this movie. So. Can't, there's no good segue from that movie. Uh, in some ways, absolutely stunning and impeccable would be the dude from the big Lebowski, which is my next one. <laughs> um, that's just like your opinion, man. That's just like your opinion, man. Um, this movie. So I transitioned from family into kind of high school friends. This movie was a favorite uh, that I would watch with my friends. And uh, we actually one like our in our high school we would come together every morning for like a morning assembly for like announcements and stuff and there was one day it was so me and my friend were like the captains of movie club and we would announce the movie that was playing every Friday afternoon and we got up on the stage and morning announcements dressed as the dude uh with milk <laughs> of course we weren't drinking right Russians but with milk glasses and announced <laughs> that We'd be showing the dude afternoon on a Friday. And it's just, yeah, it's a movie that's great. Uh, It's so funny. I can watch it on repeat. um, And it's got a great uh, cast. And what more is there to say? The lore is is fun. Um, The dude abides. I mean, yeah. (laughs) For my pick, my next pick, I'd be very curious to see how the dude would interact with the titular character of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. Next pick. Uh, I bet Jeff Bridges going on a tour of the factory would be quite interesting. I would watch that movie. I would too. Yeah, I would too, yeah. actually. He just uh, falls into the chocolate lake or whatever. <laughs> just kind of floats. 
chocolate washed over the dude. <laughs> Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> um, growing up, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory has you know was always one of my favorite movies. This is a movie I watch probably you know once every couple of months. Uh, from the trippy riverboat sequence to the TV studio, this movie dazzles, and it's a film that I'll always cherish. So it has to be in my top twenty. Plus, Gene Wilder is amazing in almost anything. Yeah, that movie never really loses its magic. Well, onto a movie that uh, that doesn't really deal in candy or magic. Uh, it's a little a little harsher. Um, that would be uh, City of God, um, two thousand two film that explores both hope and desperation in the poverty stricken favelas of Rio de Janeiro in the nineteen seventies. Uh, following a cast of children coming of age in a whirlwind of violence, drugs, and oppression, we witness their past diverge and converge in stunning portraits of both betrayal and friendship, all wonderfully acted and engrossingly written. Uh, wonderful cinematography throughout, a very bright and saturated movie with a lot of momentum through its editing, and just really captivating. Um, kind of a difficult watch, but uh, I would say one that's absolutely worth anybody's time. That description sounds vaguely like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Bunch of kids running around, being oppressed in bright colors and dazzling. Yeah, it's not quite as, uh, as charming, I guess. But <laughs> um, Similar, perhaps, to Dave's choice, other than the bright colors. Um, my next recommendation is Snowpiercer. We've talked about this movie before. Um, this is a repeat director, Bong Joon-ho. Um, this movie is fucking rad. That's all I can say really about it. Um, Chris Evans at his best, which is all the time, but uh, Chris Evans at his best. I think that this movie deserved a lot more notice, a lot more credit. So give it a watch. Um, my next pick is a movie of maybe one of my most watched movies. Um, it is uh, Peter Jackson's 2001 uh, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, hard picking between all of them, but I just rewatched Fellowship the other day and realized I am the most obnoxious person to watch that with because I just want to either act out or quote every single fucking thing that's happening. <laughs> Um, but I, I read Lord of the Rings when I was a kid because they were the most beautiful books on my dad's bookshelf. And I really wanted to like know what was inside these like really gorgeous hardback books. Um, and then when this movie came out, I was 11 and it was like a PG 13 movie that I got to go and see with my dad in theaters. I saw this like three times in theaters. Um, I printed out the entire script and tried to learn Elvish. <laughs> like this movie made me a fucking nerd. Um, but it's also one of like my most cherished movies ever. I, uh, I never realized like how I guess like big movies could be until I saw this when I was a kid. So. Aw, Tori, you were always there. I know, I really was. <laughs> Going along the lines of most watched movie, uh, my next pick is Blade Runner. We've talked about it on the podcast. Uh, this might be num- this might be second to Basil Baker Street as far as number of times I've watched this movie, but um, it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, I-, I think it's... Ridley Scott's best movie, I think. I mean, yeah, we've we've gone in depth uh, about what makes this movie quality, the visuals, uh, the soundtrack. And I I think it captures a a tone that I I feel like I've never truly seen replicated in another sci-fi movie that's that's, um, quite, yeah, nothing quite like it, so having a hard time transitioning to my pick, uh, which is Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a movie that I saw in 2020 over the summer. Talked about it a little bit on one of our recap episodes. Um, A friend recommended it and it really just blew me away. I really think it's one of the best representations of what it's like growing up. You know, with a cell cell phone glued to your face, where you're not really fitting in anywhere socially. And there's a really great um, father-daughter relationship at the heart of this movie. And, you know, Bo Burnham in interviews talks about how, you know, he wanted to create a pool party scene to be like a horror movie. Um, for like a middle schooler, which I think is so true. So eighth grade, uh, I didn't really hear much about it when it came out, so I don't know if it's underrated, but it was kind of a surprise one that popped into my head as I was sort of just kind of making my list off the cuff. Have, have you, did you follow Bill, uh, did you follow Bo Burnham like on YouTube, like when he was mm-hmm. first getting started? Check out some of like, I would say 2009 and eight Bo Burnham YouTube he would just do like, like joke songs. They are great. He has a stand-up on Netflix right now. That's really good. And it probably came out like two years ago or something, but it's very funny. That's like polished Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham yeah, 2008 <laughs> is like in his attic. Yeah. His piano. It's so good. Well, um, yeah, also kind of a portrait of childhood, but uh, not, uh, not, a, not a nostalgic one. Um, this is a 1985, uh, Russian film called come and see. Um, it's among the most emotionally shattering films I've ever seen. So I wouldn't recommend this movie to everyone. Uh, but I would urge anyone interested to watch, um, Emil Kilmov's horrific narrative of a conscripted child soldier resisting Nazi occupation is a devastating portrait of the madness of war, the loss of innocence and the toll of fascism. Each frame of which, though, is beautifully composed by cinematographer uh, Alexei uh, Rodionov. Um, it's a breathtaking, haunting, and an important watch. Uh, maybe the best war film that I know of, but definitely one to tread lightly with because it's uh, it's a mo- it's one of the few times where I've ever watched the movie and needed to pause it midway through the first time to go take a walk. But um, it's a stunning, beautiful film, albeit horrific. Um, my next pick could not be more different. The, it's the exact opposite of that, Dave. Um, this movie I've talked about a lot on the podcast, and I will do an episode about this. That is both a promise and a threat. Um, this is a movie that I have watched probably the most out of every movie ever. Um, and that is 1999's The Mummy. This <laughs> is <laughs> the feel-good movie. Um, this was the first movie that I I have owned as a VHS, a DVD, and now a digital copy. Ah. Um, That's how much I love this movie. (laughs) And um, it's the perfect thing to put on if you want a little bit of spook, a little bit of comedy, and just a lot of Brennan Fraser. I'm really waiting for the special edition 4K of Lord of the Rings to come out. So that can be my movie that I had, like, add as a VHS, Mm -hmm. as a DVD. Like, um... So my next film is one that is older, but I discovered for the first time a few years ago. And uh, discovering this movie also like changed my life as far as just like what I enjoy about movies, as well as like you know who my favorite directors are. And that is uh, Videodrome uh, from David Cronenberg. If uh, my friends can see my Zoom, I am wearing my Videodrome shirt right now. Um, I love this movie so much. I got Debbie Harry tattooed on my arm a couple months ago. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, I never really was like into Cronenberg or body horror, at least I thought I wasn't until like I really uh, delved into Videodrome and just so much of his anxieties about the world and technology and all of these things were really culminated for me. And it felt like I had uh, discovered someone who uh, really had like a lot of like the same things I felt going on, which was really nice. Um, And that sent me on a journey of like going through all of his filmographies. This is like a really important one, um, just as like uh, a film like critic and and writer now. So speaking of uh, great sounds and um, I don't know, reverberation, my next movie is School of Rock, which definitely is at the top, is in my top 20 because this was a movie where by talking about it on the podcast, it reinforced my love for this movie. I uh, think Jack Black is, this movie was made for him. So that's why it seems like the movie was written and made for him. Just today I was watching an interview with him uh, as he reflected on his major movie roles. And he said flat out that School of Rock was his crowning a cheat like he was that's the movie he's the most proud of and you can you can see it uh and I think it showcases brilliantly his skill as a performer and uh yeah it's it's wonderful I'm so glad we got to talk about School of Rock on the podcast that was a really fun episode uh, my next pick is Scream the horror classic uh, we have not talked about it on the podcast yet maybe we will one day um this is a horror classic i try to watch every halloween and i even enjoy the three sequels that come after they're nowhere near as good as the first but uh even number three has some parts to enjoy uh (laughs) maybe that'll be the one i pick one day to talk about scream three uh but yeah scream that is my uh number eight pick to put into the chamber of movies connor i was so happy you picked that i love scream two scream as well i don't love scream (laughs) two That's fine. I love the mediocre (laughs) follow-up. Well, the next film that I picked is uh, a film that internationally goes by the name Dark Angel, but uh, when in the U.S. it was distributed as I Come in Peace. Uh, This is Dolph Lundgren is a maverick Houston cop who, with the help of his bumbling assigned FBI handler, hits the streets to track down a space alien bent on harvesting the fluids of humans to return to his home world to sell as a narcotic. Uh, It's a very choppy yet spunky cult classic that's a charming and hilarious example of the kind of screenwriting tropes that we came to love in the 80s carried into the stunt spectacle action movies of the early 90s. Um, So it's kind of my, uh, my kind of like hokey pick for the top 20. because Just because Quiet Cool can't be found anywhere. I was uh, very so I surprised. I was very surprised Quiet Cool didn't make it. That's a real difficult movie to track down. So instead, I come in peace uh, or Dark Angel, which is available on YouTube for free in its entirety. So um, I cannot move on before I mention this about Dolph Lundgren. Um, do you know that he had a Fulbright scholarship to MIT? Oh, yeah. He's a smart dude. <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> um, what a man. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, so continuing on with like my feel good picks, my next one is Sister Act. Sister Act one and two, you can't go wrong. These movies are incredible. I love Whoopi Goldberg and just about anything that she does, but these movies just have a really special place in my heart. 
is the concert scene in the first one where like the kids are nervous to sing and then they get excited. Is that the second one? Yeah, it's the second one. I, I remember the um with the election of like Georgia, Arizona, you know, point to the kids is like they start getting more excited to sing. I think you might have shared that. Um, so my next pick is another film that really got me into horror, um, some years ago. Um, it is a 1985 film called Reanimator by Stuart Gordon. Uh, Stuart Gordon did like a lot of like Lovecraft adaptations in the eighties. Um, this movie made me realize that not only can horror be gross, but it can also be really fun and gross, which is like such a good combination of things. Um, like you have one character that's legit, just like a decapitated head talking throughout like most of the movie. It's so ridiculous. Um, but it also stars two of my biggest 80 crushes, uh, which are of course, uh, Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs. Uh, they're so good in this movie. They did a lot of Stuart Gordon movies. Um, but Jeffrey Combs is just like the sexiest mad scientist ever. (laughs) Sexy mad side. I don't have a good, I don't have a good transition, but uh, my next pick falls into the category of picking a fave of a director that I like. um, And it's Christopher Guest, uh, Best in Show. Uh, This movie makes me think of my friends uh, and we, who like, will watch all the Christopher Guest movies. and just laugh our asses off. And I think, yeah, uh, best in show, I think showcases like the, the Christopher Guest crew, the best, um, and is just full of, I don't know, good time and, and hilarity. And lots of dogs. And so many dogs. <laughs> Uh, so for my next pick, um, I chose Get Out by Jordan Peele. I mainly just knew you know, Jordan Peele from Key and Peele and Comedy Central, uh, but this film really blew me away with this mixture of horror, humor, and lots of dumb white people and scary white people. Um, this movie really hits all the right notes and definitely deserved its Oscar win for Best Screenplay. Well, that brings us over to my choice then, which is a documentary called Dark Days that came out in the year 2000. Uh, the black and white 16 millimeter film of director Mark Singer and his crew lend an always evident grit and appropriate darkness to this 2000s documentary about un- the unhoused living within New York City's abandoned subway tunnels. Uh, with respectful and honest portraits of the unhoused tunnel dwellers' lives and stories, this particular film comes to an unforgettably uplifting end, uh, due in large part to the filmmakers themselves. So it's a spectacular looking film. Um, from start to finish, the co- sense of contrast and light and darkness is really pronounced and really powerful. Um, and it's uh, it's tells some really, really meaningful stories that, again, come to a surprisingly, uh, surprisingly uplifting end considering the circumstances. So definitely one to check out. Uh, my next pick is also kind of like a like a feel good one. Um, it was critically panned and also <laughs> critically panned by my uh, butter with that colleagues, too. But I don't care. I love this movie. God damn it. Um, And that is, of course, Practical Magic. It is just a fun time. So if you're interested in something that, you know, doesn't really matter that much, but is just a fun watch, give Practical Magic a go. So my next one is also kind of a feel-good one. Um, This is Amelie from 2001. Um, This is a movie that... um, 
I used to watch like all the time whenever I was in like a really bad mood. This was like a movie that could just like lift me up. Um, this is a movie that really is just like very sweet about this like shy waitress trying to make like the lives of the people she's around like better. Um, really like gorgeous color. Um, just like really like kind of goofy and silly. Um, it is like uh, one of the weirder like romantic comedies, I guess, that I've seen. Um, been a while since I've rewatched it, but this was like definitely like a very important movie at like a very specific time in my life. My pick is also a very important movie, uh, not necessarily for a very particular time in my life, but just always. And that is M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. Uh, I was like, is M. Night going to make my top 20? And I said, don't kid yourself, Christine, put it there. <laughs> you know how you feel. <laughs> Uh, I rewatched this uh, over Halloween recently, and I was like, I love this just as much as I did the first four times I watched it. So um, I think this is M. Night in his, mo- in his most restrained, which I think uh, maybe besides The Visit, it's a, it's a very straightforward plot. And I think, you know, Mel Gibson is, is a shit. Uh, but I think his performance is, in Signs is really great, as is Joaquin Phoenix and, and the young Culkin and uh, Abigail Breslin. Their whole cast is so good. And the music is really beautiful, too. It's scary so as well. you, I'm so glad you picked Signs as uh, the M. Night Shyamalan pick in this 100. Interesting. Um, <laughs> my number 10 pick is uh, Blinded by the Light. Um, I'm a pretty big Spruce Springsteen fan, so I was really skeptical um, a blinded by the light. You know, when I saw the trailer, I really thought it was just another like cash grab kind of like jukebox movie musical. Uh, but this film really blew me away, um, with Javed's story about a Pakistani kid growing up in late eighties, England, and how the music of Springsteen helped to navigate school, his loving, but overbearing parents and the hateful racist side of British nativist culture. Um, you don't really need to know much about Bruce Springsteen or his work. If music has been important to you in your life at all, then this film will definitely click, which I think is its greatest strength. And another film elevated by its soundtrack, among other things, uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Um, Do the Right Thing revolves around residents of a particular neighborhood in Brooklyn over the course of a smothering summer afternoon. Um, Lee explores the racial tensions of the era with a healthy balance of levity and gravity uh, while advancing his established style of direction and editing, both of which are on full display and at the height of their power. Uh, The ensemble cast are fantastic, and many of them springboarded from this film into lengthy careers. So I think among his uh, filmography, it's uh, it's largely considered one of his more poignant and iconic films, and I think for good reason. So uh, that's one that I'm happy to have on the list. I adore following up Spike Lee and do the right thing with Clueless. Um, but <laughs> that is my next pick. Um, I I love this movie so much. I remember being a little kid, watching it and watching the TV show and just really adoring all of the characters. Um, Stacey Dash, fuck you. Uh, but I love Cher and baby Paul Rudd. Good Lord. Just if even if you hate the movie, just watch it for baby Paul Rudd. It's so, so good. Um, my next pick is Steven Spielberg's Jaws from 1975. Um, this is obviously like a classic. Um, I watched this, it was like the first movie I watched in my high school film class and breaking this movie down, like really made me appreciate how effective this movie is like across the board, um, in like building suspense. But like every time I watch it now, it feels kind of like a feel good movie 
because I love the characters in this movie so much. Um, it has one of my favorite like uh, movie couples ever. Um, the chemistry on the boat between Richard Dreyfus, Rob uh, Shaw, and Roy Sh- uh, Scheider is just like so good. Um, and Richard Dreyfus is like so adorable in this movie. I just love him and his little like fucking sweater talking about sharks. And yeah, he's the best. <laughs> My next pick is uh, Miyazaki Spirited Away. We talked about it on the podcast. Uh, it's just stun like a, a universe stunningly rendered and uh, each character so lovingly crafted. Uh, it's truly a movie that's, can sweep you away. Um, and yeah, a, a main character with strength and fortitude to survive any <laughs> animated bathhouse. <laughs> That's definitely one that has stuck with me too, Connor. I was so glad that you picked it. Um, particularly, what's the character's name? Like No Face? No Face. Yeah, I I yeah. think about that character all the time. Also, the little like uh, this like the soot things. Uh, bless. I think about the chickens in the bath all the time, oh. or like <laughs> or whatever they are. <laughs> so uh, for my next pick, I chose Booksmart, Olivia Wilde's uh, directorial debut. Um, I kind of like you know wrote the list out and then wrote these blurbs. You know once compiling the list. And as I've gone through writing these blurbs, I've realized that I have a lot of coming of age slash school slash kind of teenager focused movies. I guess I'm just drawn to kind of those themes and ideas. Um, Booksmart was a commercial flop, uh, even though this film, in my opinion, is pretty darn perfect and does a lot of really interesting things. It was? Yeah, it was a huge commercial flop. Not critical, but yeah, it made like no money at the box office. Oh, that's sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really can't wait to see what Wilde does if she directs other movies in the future, because uh, Booksmart was really stellar. And a great theatrical experience as well. One that I wish I would have had the chance to see in theaters, but I would have been nine, um, would be 1996's Fargo. Uh, really don't know what to say about Fargo other than that we covered in the, the episode, which I think we did pretty thoroughly. Um, from its warmth to its humor, its knockout performances, drum-tight editing and direction... Uh, it's a shining example of the magic of filmmaking through and through that never loses its luster and always manages to present new surprises upon repeat viewings. Um, so an absolute must-see for the Cohen's story catalog and my second favorite movie. Um, another must-see is my next pick, which is Princess Diaries. Um, there's nothing about this movie I dislike except the very idea of putting M&Ms on pizza. That is the most revolting thing I could perhaps even think about. Um, it's going but too far. It is. That is a step too far. Um, but this movie is really there for you when you need to pick me up. I remember I was having a really bad day um, a couple months ago, and I was at the store with my roommate. She was like, you okay, dude? And I went, can we go home and watch Princess Diaries? Because <laughs> that's the only thing I knew that would cheer me up. Um, My next movie is definitely not a feel-good movie, but it's one of my faves. Uh, it's um, Alex Garland's 2014 film, Ex Machina. Um, I talked about Alex Garland the other day on the podcast. He, I think, is one of like the best new like uh 
sci-fi directors out there. Um, this movie really blew me away when I saw it. Around this time, I was teaching like a class on technology and society and just like how technology has like affected our society in both positive and negative ways. Um, and this is a movie that like really got under my skin. Um, it also has, of course, uh, the beautiful Oscar Isaac in one of the silliest dances ever, but it's like gorgeous. Uh, speaking of gorgeous, gorgeous movies, uh, my next pick is 2001 uh, Wong Kar Wai movie, In the Mood for Love. Um, this is a movie that I I had mentioned previously in this episode, my movie club in high school. Um, so my friend and I were like organized it, uh, but it was a collaboration among us and teachers and this was a movie one of my favorite teachers in high school recommended, and this was kind of a foray into like sophisticated love stories that are just like beautifully shot. And uh, it's it's a movie that makes me think of that time period or like makes me think of high school, but also kind of my developing love for for different all different types of movies uh, and challenging movies too. So um, yeah, it kind of takes me back to that. Uh, that period in my life. Uh, for my pick, this has been a really popular one to talk about on Butter with Fat, and that is Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse, uh, starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. We have spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about it, and deservedly so. This movie is spectacular, weird, challenging, um, and has definitely stayed with me. And I saw this movie um, with Dave in theaters. That was an awesome experience. I saw it again uh, with all my best friends. And then we had friend of the show, Tom, on the podcast to talk about it. Um, so this film, I think, has really transcended just the actual, like, watching the movie itself and has entered, um, in my life, like, a really, like, powerful force of friendship and good vibes, even though the movie doesn't have a whole lot of good vibes. <laughs> Definitely true. And um, yeah, that was on my list originally as well, but was removed um, to make space for something else then. Um, and also something that we've covered on the podcast before, uh, 1990s Goodfellas, um, which I think for me is Scorsese at his best, and that's saying a lot, even though it kind of lives in the shadow of the Godfather saga in a lot of ways. Another movie that we've just discussed, which is also fantastic, Goodfellas does carve out a brand new um, and, and kind of differently toned niche within the genre and one that would set a new tone for future generations of filmmakers and uh, TV writers like The Sopranos. In the lively pace of its editing, strategic use of its soundtrack and the To Die For cast all working at full steam, uh, I think really kind of make it another one of those movies that I put on that perfect movie shortlist. So uh, for more info on that, go, pay, go back and check out our episode. So some of my favorite movies, um, my, one of my favorite genres of movies is period pieces, historical dramas. So when I think of period pieces, I think of one movie in particular, which is A League of Their Own. One of my all-time favorite movies, Gina Davis, absolutely love her so very much. And um, it is definitely a movie that has its problems and has its faults, Um and this is a pick that makes me very aware of just how white all of my choices have been. Um, I think it because there is one particular scene that the movie acknowledges that um, if black women were included, the story would be entirely different. So I think I, I really appreciate that a lot. But um, still, it's it's a heartwarming pick. And uh, I remember watching it as a little kid and feeling really inspired and be like, I'm going to play baseball too. I never did, but you know what? The want was there. 
I'm glad you brought that up, Sam, too, just because like I, I was really uh, tussling with my lack of uh, inclusivity in my list. So um, that is always just a good reminder that I need to keep striving to watch like a more diverse array of films. Um, uh, my next film is um, Christopher Nolan's 2006 film, The Prestige. Um, I had trouble figuring out which movie I wanted to do of Nolan's because um, I do think that The Dark Knight is like one of the few perfect movies, but The Prestige is one that like really hit me when I first saw it. It was a movie that I remember as soon as it ended, I wanted to rewatch it again, which like there are very few movies where I've immediately had that like, oh shit, I like need to see all of this all over again. Um, it like fucking moves. It's so interesting. I really like the way it's layered. Love him or hate him, Christopher Nolan definitely like brings something at least uh, to film that's really interesting. And I think this is like one of like, definitely one of his best uh, overall. Um, and I do think that um, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale are just so fantastic in this. The uh, prestige reminds me of college, watching it in college dorm with like random people in my hall and being like, yeah, this movie's great, right? <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's, it's such a good movie. And uh, also um, my next pick reminds me of college uh, it was a movie that I randomly checked out from the college library, like the DVD, go figure. <laughs> but uh, it's with Nail and I um, and uh, starring Richard E. Grant. Uh, and it's a 1980s uh, British kind of, kind of like a buddy film. It's basically two guys who are really drunk and just walk around like yelling at each other. <laughs> and yet just like, they're just misanthropes and yelling about each other and society or whatever. But I just loved this movie so much for the 80s fashions and thought it was just so funny. And um, I mean, it's it's got some very um, intense moments as well, but um, I had never heard of Richard E. Grant and I was like, this actor is great. <laughs> and it's uh, he's much younger in this movie, so. Um, it's uh, and I, I loved the Ralph Steadman cover on the front of the DVD too. I think that's probably why why I picked it from the library. Uh, my next pick also has a lot of yelling, uh, intense scenes, and that is uh, David Fincher's Zodiac. Um, Fincher, phenomenal director, uh, and I think Zodiac probably my favorite Fincher movie. Great performances across the board. Really interesting, technically, how he recreated, you know, late 60s, early 70s San Francisco, um, and a really chilling tale um, about the Zodiac Killer, and especially, like, the whole back half of that movie. I think it's just so intense, and Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo. Um, yeah, Zodiac's just a fantastic movie. You know, I love that movie, too, but it disappoints me a little bit because it never exactly names who the Zodiac Killer is, and we all know it's Ted Cruz. Kidding. Got him. Yep. Got him. Well, speaking of uh, uh, history, um, <laughs> it's going to segue into um, my next pick, which is called um, Hearts of Darkness, a Filmmaker's Apocalypse. So this is uh, Eleanor Coppola uh, making a guerrilla-style documentary that focuses on her husband Francis's manic quest to film one of the most challenging and revered Vietnam War films ever, Apocalypse Now!, um, Hearts of Darkness stands as an essential companion piece to that film, a documentary that captures the madness of artistic 
obsession, the splendor and ingenuity of movie making, and the genius of Apocalypse Now, while at times laying bare the abuses and unchecked privilege of uh, 1970s auteur filmmaking. So it's very complicated film in that regard, very revealing and very uh, very thoughtful pres- an honest presentation of a very storied and very insane uh, film's production, which is a really cool look behind the lens, I think, uh, and, and a really unique film in the regard that uh, it's an unpopular opinion, but I actually prefer this movie to Apocalypse Now, although I love that movie as well. Um, but uh, it's one that I would definitely recommend if you're a fan of, uh, of Coppola and a fan of Apocalypse Now. Um, I'm a fan of Apocalypse Now, but Heart of Darkness, I remember reading that in school and like just throwing it on the ground and being so angry about it. That book is garbage. Yeah. It is garbage. Um, what's not garbage, though, is my next pick. So I really wanted to have a war movie, but I, I had a, a very difficult time picking one because I like so many. Um and I, I narrowed it down to either 1917 or Dunkirk. And I really, really thought about it and debated. I had the other one on this list for a while. And then I finally thought 1917 was just like so unique in how I know it was more than just like two shots, but the fact that it doesn't look that way. And just, I didn't pick up on it at first. I think it took maybe about like the first 10 minutes for me to realize what was going on. And just the skill that that takes in filming and acting, I was just beyond impressed with it all. So I think it definitely deserves to be on this list. Uh, My next film is from a director who I uh, also just recently talked about, David Lynch. It's his 1992 film, uh, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. Um, After rewatching Twin Peaks with my partner this year, we finally watched this movie and season three. And this movie really hit me because I've always loved Twin Peaks, the first two seasons. But... um, you know, there are so many stories that are about the dead girl that just talk about her after she's dead. And so this like was actually Laura Palmer's story, which is such a unique thing to have. And it's so interesting that uh, Lynch wanted to do this story and also get into, you know, the the real like sad levels of abuse that are going on underneath Twin Peaks. Um uh Cheryl uh Cheryl Lee is so good in this she plays Laura so well um and yeah David Lynch like has very quickly become one of my favorite directors so this movie like even though I just saw it like a few months ago has like really stuck with me and I'm really happy about it my next movie is uh P.T. Anderson's uh, Phantom Thread uh I love this movie um because I think it in many ways kind of uh, sort of subverts the archetype of the female muse in I think a really powerful way um, and like explores power in and uh, in gender dynamics in a really, really interesting way. And uh, also just the, the fashion is <laughs> so, <laughs> it's great. Uh, and it's, it's stunningly shot and you can see the, the meticulous craft both in the filming and in the the fabric and in the costumes and in the space um and yeah it's definitely uh definitely one of my faves i was so glad this was on the list because i had already picked two pt anderson movies he made phantom thread and just like combined i don't know what one love is but the other is just a beautiful period piece and i was like well <laughs> He managed to do it. So uh, for my next pick, this is a movie I absolutely adore. Talked about it on the podcast quite a bit. 
Uh, I believe it was even one of my picks for our award show, and that is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, it's not all the time that we get a truly game-changing animated film, um, let alone just a game-changing film in the superhero genre in general. Um, superhero genre in general. Uh, the technology that Sony developed to create this movie, I think, rivals Pixar in quality, and I really can't wait for the extended uh, animated Spider-Man universe with Miles Morales that this has set up. Connor, I'm so happy you picked uh, Spider Verse because that's the one movie I like. Really, like, need, would bite my tongue. I was like, "Wait, the world doesn't need another Spider-Man movie." <laughs> and then I was like, "Wait, this is one of the best animated movies I've ever seen." I mean, the world really doesn't need another Spider-Man movie, and yet they made it. They did it. Well, but but they they did it in a self-aware yeah. way. They like named it you know like the world doesn't need another spider-man movie as it was done before but yeah yeah cool so that brings us to my next selection which is uh 1977 japanese film house or house one of tori's selections for uh chill and kill horror back in the day i was sorry to have missed that one because i was confusing it with another movie i'd already seen um <laughs> It's a, a true fever dream of a film. Uh, House follows several friends as they visit one of their aunts in the Japanese countryside. Uh, once there, every corner of the titular house becomes packed floor to ceiling with jaw-dropping macabre surprises. The groundbreaking experimental editing, camera tricks, and practical effects make each 30 seconds or so of House more unpredictable, more unsettling, and more insanely fun than the last, amounting to a roller coaster of horror humor that made way ahead of its time. Uh, so one that I discovered this year uh, was ashamed to have only discovered it this year and one that uh, I would recommend everyone check out because it's a really fun movie. Um, up next for me is 2019's Little Women. I thought that nothing would be able to touch Winona Ryder's version, but Greta Gerwig, you proved me wrong. Um, this movie is fantastic. I saw it. This was the only movie I saw in theaters in 2020. And you can tell that Gerwig just loved the March sisters. And she gave story to Amy and Beth that we've never seen before. And the just pure raw emotion that Laura Dern brought um, after Beth dies and everything like that. I, we were sobbing in the theater. So it is phenomenal. Um, on a similar note, I have uh, 2009's Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Just two peas in a pod. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, period pieces? Sure, right? Sure. <laughs> you got something there. Um, I think this is probably my favorite Tarantino film. I just think this is so enjoyable every time I watch it. And especially now, you know, it never, I never get tired of watching Nazis die. Like it just never gets old for me. Um, well, Inglorious Bastards had a lot of action. This movie's got kick-ass action and that would be Mission Impossible 6. It was hard for me to pick my favorite Mission Impossible, but if this year was the year of Mission Impossible, um, I have to pick six because it, I think it just, it not only showcases Tom Cruise at his most intense, but I, I read a great review that pointed out, like you can see Tom aging a little in this one. And I think that makes for a compelling and complicated character <laughs> as co as complex as Mission Basel can be. It just gives me everything I wanted. Nice. Um, for my pick, uh, I'm going with 1982's Poltergeist. 
Um, this is, we talked about quite a few horror movies. This is another really true classic horror movie story by Spielberg, uh, directed by Toby Hooper, who we talked about at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, for being such an influential movie, Poltergeist really still surprises me when I watch it. Uh, I especially love the scene when the mother tests the kind of like supernatural powers in the house uh, when she has like the chair set up in the kitchen. Um, it's so easy for a haunted house movie just to go full terror, but Poltergeist lavishes in otherworldly oddities, hidden horrors, and moments of joy. Especially that scene in the mirror is really spectacular too. Oh, wait, that's not the mirror scene. Wait, which one? Peel it off the face in the mirror. Yeah, that's, oh, that that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh man, and yeah, uh, Connor, do you know about like the secret? That's that's maybe a secret uh, Spielberg film. That whole theory. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. Oh, uh, it's interesting. Look into that. It's wild. Um, speaking of, um, I guess I don't know. Great directors, uh, George Miller uh, for the next uh, selection, Mad Max: Fury Road. Uh, it's Miller's fourth installment in his signature Mad Max series, uh, and it was stalled in production hell for over 15 years, and it may have saved the film. Um, I'm a huge fan of the franchise, but 2015's Fury Road exceeded my every expectation, uh, showing tremendous respect for its audience. The film's excellent show-don't-tell world-building raises the stakes of the already gripping wasteland and introduces new ingredients unthinkable in the 1980s, uh, from polecats to flame-throwing guitars, Almost all of his principal photography to the tastefully rendered CG landscapes and sandstorms uh, to the refreshing feminist overtones, especially for an action blockbuster. Uh, Fury Road not only carries the Mad Max torch into the future, but makes it a beacon for modern action cinema. I still have yet to see it. That's definitely one on my list that I want to cross off at some point. Um, my next choice, I'm mad at myself for this one because I fucking hate James Cameron. But, you know, the attention to detail in the story that he created for Titanic is just something that I feel like hasn't been touched in a very long time. And it is one that I watched so much as a kid. I saw it in the drive-ins and I would watch it every night before bed when I was a kid. But only the first VHS, never the second, never when anything goes wrong. Um, But it's just a love story for the ages. And I remember thinking that it was like a real story and getting into like seven seventh grade and my teachers were like um that actually didn't happen and my I was like heartbroken but still a great movie um my pick is probably the oldest on my list um this is from 1931 it's M from director Fritz Lang um I got to see this movie on the big screen a few years ago and it was really amazing um if you've never seen it it's about like um, this murderer who like kills children in Germany and how the whole town, like the townspeople, the police, and also like the criminal underground all come together to try to capture this man. Um, and then it becomes this like really interesting debate on like capital punishment. It's so fascinating. Pierre Laurie, who's always like a fascinating presence in movie is like so creepy in this movie. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Great choice. So, my next pick is uh, actually Blade Runner 2049. And I think I love this movie. Uh, I think De- Denis Villeneuve just, in my opinion, nailed the follow-up to the original Blade Runner. And it makes me so happy to see a sequel uh, after so much time passed that I think really embodied the spirit of the original, but at the same time brought new life, new characters, um, and an updated look to 
there are still some critiques that I have of the of the movie. I think we talked a little bit about uh, it on the podcast about even though it it is a 2018 movie that depicts the future, it is still overwhelmingly a white cast uh, and the big problematic aspects of, of uh, the casting. Uh, and that I think is a really important problem, uh, an issue to address. But um, I, I do think uh, in many other ways, it is, it is such a beautiful compliment to the original. So my next pick is, you know, kind of following the idea of taking something, you know, original and building on top of it. And that is Akira Kurosawa's uh, last epic, Ron, uh, which translates in Japanese, you know, Japanese to English, the chaos or turmoil. Uh, basically, it's Shakespeare's King Lear set in feudal Japan when a powerful ruler abdicates his throne to his three loyal what he thinks, Loyal Sons. Uh, released in 1985, it was the most expensive Japanese film ever made. Um, and really, you can pick a bombastic adjective to describe Ron, and you know, you'll hit the, you know, you'll hit the mark. Um, epic really just begins to describe it. I watched, this is one of my favorite movies I ever watched in high school. Um, and it's a movie that stuck with me for many years, and I definitely uh, want to try to pick it for the podcast in 2021. Well, that brings us to Microcosmos. Uh, with nearly no narration, this documentary doesn't simply explore the world of insects, but rather brings the viewer into it without distraction. Uh, the unexpected drama and intrigue of watching insects captured through macro lenses affords microcosmos an almost safari-scale portrait of a variety of creepy crawlers as we observe their behavior in breathtaking vignettes. Uh, it's a film that soothingly and stunningly shrinks one's perspective to that of an ant, but still reveals a world teeming with life, drama, and fascination. So one that I would really highly recommend and one that's just great to have on in the background sometimes, uh, especially if you've, uh, you know, enjoyed a number or two or just kicking back. <laughs> to follow up something that was so well crafted and well put, Dave, is my choice, um, which is Psycho. I love this movie. Um, it's a story that has always stayed with me and it has really stood out as just something that's so unique and and clever and absolutely chilling and um i have read books that have kind of riffed on it and i think that those are great too so just a, a really standout hitchcock for me speaking of toby hooper and um oh crap what's his name anthony perkins uh i just spent like 20 bucks on a tv movie that toby hooper did because anthony perkins is in it it sounds wild so i'm very excited to watch it what's that called uh, it's called I'm Dangerous Tonight. Uh, it's a 90s movie. Uh, the girl that plays uh, Shelly in Twin Peaks finds an Aztec robe and turns it into a dress and then it like starts murdering people. It sounds fucking horrifying, but I found out about it today and Garrett and I like had to scour the internet to find a copy of it. So it's getting shipped from England and it's like an Italian DVD because it's like the only one we could find. I can't wait. I'll let you guys know how it is. Um, so for my next pick, I'm picking uh, the fucking epic masterpiece, Speed Racer from 2008 by the uh, Wachowski <laughs> twins. Um, I fucking love this movie. I've seen it so much. Yes. <laughs> and it's really, it's really silly and goofy, but it, I think it's also very heartwarming. Um, I love the way this movie looks and it's like super cartoonish. Um, 
But like, this is a very goofy movie that I feel like no one I knew like liked. And this is one of the things that Garrett and I like really bonded over when we first started dating uh, and have probably watched like several times since then. Uh, when we're in a bad mood, that's like one of the movies we put on is just like, well, we got to watch fucking Speed Racer, you know? I'm so sad. I've never seen Speed Racer. That's going to be on my to watch list. It's a classic. We should definitely do it for the podcast. (laughs) I'd love to talk about it. Um, So my next pick uh, is one of my favorites from a director. I just uh, like have liked uh, Pedro Almodovar's uh, Volver. I think Penelope Cruz is so good in this movie. Um, It's, it's, just so vibrant. It's got mystery, family drama, humor. Um, and it's always just interesting to see what new stories uh, Almodovar spins. And uh, yeah, this just is, it's a movie. It's a classic. I, I uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to go off on a tangent and I was like, don't do it. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll jump into mine. Um... Number 17 for me is Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster. Uh, A weird pick, but well-deserved for Best Picture by the Academy. Wholeheartedly deserved. Um, Not much else to say. Silence of the Lambs, a true modern classic. Honor, can I just jump in really quickly? Have you seen Michael Mann's Manhunter? (laughs) Check it out. I just watched it for the first time two days ago, and it's really good. That movie's wild. Gotta love Michael Mann. It's bonkers. And the soundtrack is like all, is like so good. That's all I guess. I can't think of Anagata DeVita without thinking of that movie now. Uh, that was a weird ending. Or like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I also, Connor, so glad that made the list. I was conflicted about making sure that had space, but I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't make it work. So thank you for making sure it was on there. Uh, another almost perfect movie, I'd say. Um, another movie I really adore, too, uh, which we've covered on the podcast before, is The Secret of Nim. Um, Don Bluth and his team set out to create an animated film that would rival the quality of Walt Disney Studios, which was then the pinnacle of animation. Um, with The Secret of Nim, Bluth and his team not only succeeded in their aim, but may have surpassed the competition, in my opinion. Uh, a story with heart and tremendous uh, tenderness unfolds as dynamically and refreshingly savage at times, uh, not flinching from confronting death or loss despite being a chiefly children's film. Uh, the animation is among the finest in the industry, uh, with camera and cell techniques developed specifically for the film, all of which lend a unique and spellbinding atmosphere to a moving and fittingly challenging story. So one that I really adore and one that we talked about before, so go back and listen. That was a movie I was so happy that you brought to us, Dave. It's one that I, I really love, too. Um, speaking of movies and things that I really love, my next pick is Empire Strikes Back. So um, recently I have been really taken by Star Wars. It's come to mean a whole hell of a lot to me in a very short amount of time. Um, I'm like absolutely obsessed now. I actually just treated myself to an early birthday present and it's a purse in the shape of the Death Star. Um, But Empire Strikes Back is my favorite because it is just phenomenal. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I really find the dark side far more interesting their story is more compelling so that's why i've picked this one listen come at me and we will talk about how there should be a gray jedi order because that's all i want to talk about (laughs) all the time i think it's fascinating 
Um, I mean, you obviously should have picked Rise of Skywalker, but it's fine. <laughs> I would have rather eat my own leg. <laughs> no, but I'm glad. I'm glad that Star Wars made it on there because I was definitely conflicted. Um, uh, my next pick is uh, Young Frankenstein from Mel Brooks. Um, this yes. is another one that I watched when I was very young and didn't understand a lot of the humor, but even then it was so enjoyable. And it's another one of those movies that like, you know, it's Gene Wilder. And whenever I need like something like that, I can just laugh at or put on in the background. This is like always a perfect one. Um, there's just so many good jokes and one-liners in this movie and they pop into my head like all the time. Um, it's kind of along the same lines as like Monty Python in that way, where all of a sudden those lines just come in, into my head at like really inappropriate moments, but um, definitely like a, a formative film for me. So my, my last few picks uh, are uh, recent watches and things that really make me think of uh, Butter With That and like art discussions and our time together and movies that um, I've really loved talking about with you all. So this next movie is uh, Shoplifters, which we talked about on the podcast uh, by Hirokazu Korida. And uh, it's a movie about food, about uh, love for family and uh, just warmth, tenderness with a really, um, yeah, certainly a very intense story as well. But uh, it, uh, I was just blown away when I saw it. And I just loved talking about this movie with you all too. So. Yeah. Shoplifters quickly found its way into my heart as a really mm -hmm. fantastic movie. I'm so glad yeah. I saw that you put it on the list. Uh, my next pick is, one that kind of surprised me, it's sort of one that just sort of appeared as I was kind of typing this list, and that is um, 2009's District 9, directed by Neil Blomkamp. It's been a while since I've seen this movie, but uh, this is one movie I distinctly remember getting for Christmas. Uh, I got the same year. Does anybody remember the movie The Island with Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson? <laughs> Those are two Woof. movies that I got uh, for Christmas. Um, the Island, maybe we'll talk about it one day, but District 9, I'm not quite sure how we'll would hold up today, substituting aliens, you know, kind of the apartheid story. But in terms of being a found footage movie, a sci-fi movie, I think that this film really does a lot of stuff um, well. Really interesting. Charlton Coupley is a really, you know, it's kind of like this middle management government guy whose life literally, you know, he you know, turns to shit. Uh, I think it's a really interesting story to follow. And it's too bad that uh, Neil Blomkamp has only delivered diminishing returns since District 9 came out. Um, he had such a promising career. He was attached to a Halo movie. Uh, and every movie he's released since has only been worse and worse and worse. Maybe one day he'll release a good movie. Um, but District Nine's one I want to revisit. Uh, but kind of growing up, that movie made a really big impression on me. Awesome. Uh, next pick on my end would be A Serious Man. Uh, it's one of the more overlooked in the Cohen's catalog. Uh, a Serious Man serves as a modern interpretation of the Book of Job. Uh, Arthur Gopnik irreplaceably played by uh, Michael Strauberg. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, <laughs> in spite of it being irreplaceable in the role, um, is a man plunged increasingly and inexplicably into a kind of cosmic spiral of circumstance that plays out as both sympathetic and shot and Freudian at the same time. Uh, the supporting cast are perfectly placed. The set design is completely immersive and the Coen's comic timing via their editing has never been more refined. Uh, so it's an absolute must-see for novice fans of the uh, filmmaking duo and uh, just a really great movie for um, anybody who wants a particularly strange uh, 
the kind of character study and disintegration and uh, the absence of available answers. Uh, it's definitely one we're going to cover soon, I think. Uh, so stay tuned for more on that. But in the meantime, uh, go ahead and check it out. I believe it's on Netflix. I'll be excited to talk about that. Um, next for me is Back to the Future. Honestly, I love the second one the most because you go to the future and then you go back to the past that they already went to. Um, but I think if you're going to watch any of them, watch the very first one. Uh, the third one sucks. I hate that one. And I get into a fight with my roommate all the time who thinks that's the best one. If you think that's the best one, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> love you, Missy, if you're listening. But like, what? What? Anyway, Back to the Future is phenomenal. Um, my next pick is uh, 1940s uh, Disney classic Fantasia. Um, this is a movie that I watched so much when I was growing up. And it's a movie that like always felt really magical when I watched it. I love all of like the little like pieces of this movie. I think they're all so iconic. The dinosaurs that are like evolving, the uh, like the little like pixie fairies that are like touching all the leaves as the seasons change. Like all of it is just so beautiful. Um, and it's one that's really stuck with me as I've grown older. Um, I remember being in college and being under the influence of different things and being like, hey, why don't I read this at Fantasia now and see how it is? And it's still super fun, even under the influence. Um, but yeah, this is like, this is like, like one of the big like Disney classics for me, for sure. I got to revisit Fantasia. Just put it on. Yeah. Just let it wash over me. Oh, yeah. Another one I was um, glad to see back on the list. Yeah. So my next movie is a movie we also talked on the podcast, uh, Cheryl Dunier's Watermelon Woman. I watched this movie for the first time this year and was just so blown away. Uh, Cheryl Dunier, it's uh, really presents uh, a movie about the creative process, about finding one's creative voice as she plays herself. Uh, it's about giving power to historically marginalized narratives. It's a portrait of 1990s Philly, which is so great. Um, and I highly, highly recommend, uh, if you haven't watched it, to go to go see it. So glad you shared that movie with us. Yeah, it was so fun to, to talk about it with you all, too. Especially um, for a Philly movie podcast. Yeah, yeah the scenes of South Philly. Too. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Uh, so my next pick is a film I just talked about in our last episode, and that is Blow the Man Down. Uh, Tori recommended this movie all the way last spring, and this has become you know one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, if you want to hear all I have to say about it, definitely check out our awards episode. Um, but this is my pick of 2020. It's a prime movie, so you can watch it literally whenever if you have Amazon Prime. And uh, that brings us to, um, in my opinion, among Stanley Kubrick's greatest works, and that's saying quite a lot for me. Uh, would be 1980s uh, Stephen King adaptation of The Shining. Taking Stephen King's uh, source material as foundation rather than scripture, Kubrick makes The Overlook Hotel and its great echoing sense of isolation a movie monster all his own. Uh, with trademark long tracking shots and uh, hypnotic symmetrical compositions always plunging us further and further into the unraveling minds of the characters. The characters, by the way, brilliantly played by uh, Nicholson and Duvall, who are at the height of their craft. Uh, the score haunts every scene, lending further dread to an already hair-raising picture. So altogether, airtight filmmaking and uh, another one that uh, would make my my perfect films list. There's a lot of this coming up, although there aren't many. So um, be sure to check that one out for sure. 
um, from one wild ride to another, my next pick is Speed. Um, I've already talked about this movie on the podcast, so check out that episode. What more can you want? 1990s, a bus going over 55 miles an hour, Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock. It's a classic. Um, my next pick is uh, the 2011 film Drive uh, from Nicholas Winding Refn. Um this movie is just like so my aesthetic and something that I really love in films. It's got like eighties vibes, a synthy soundtrack. It's got like gorgeous neon lights and crazy action. There's so much going on. I love how this movie feels. Um, it's this really interesting portrait of this man who's like kind of trying to like suppress his like nature and the scorpion, uh, that's like really iconic in the film. Um, it's also like Ryan Gosling is just so great in this film. Um, it's yeah, it's so great. I I love it so much. There's there's not really too too much else I can say about that. I've gushed about it many a time um, and wrote about it last year for Cinema Seventy Six. I'm so glad to drive to put into the, the chamber. So my next pick is <laughs> um, a movie a movie we recent just recently talked about. Uh, it's just Kelly Reichardt's first cow. Uh, it, I saw it. I was like, this, I think is, uh, the, one of the best movies she's done. Um, and it's been so wonderful just watching all of her movies and really, uh, just seeing her development. Uh, but yet her, uh, very singular vision and storytelling abilities, uh, play out over the course of her career. She's, she's a gem. I love you, Kelly. Speaking of another director that's a gem, uh, my next pick is Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. I mainly knew him from the Hellboy movies, but when I watched Pan's Labyrinth in my sophomore year Spanish class, um, that really, you know, showed me that he can operate on a whole other level. It's probably the first foreign foreign language film I've seen. Um, And... You know, from the pan himself to the story of the girl, the pale, like the whole character, all the characters that he create creates in this fantasy world. Um, the commandant, the sergeant character, is really well done. Um, the scene where he has to sew his face is brutal and effective. I mean, Pan's Labyrinth is just an amazing movie that if you haven't seen, you've got to watch it. And uh, that brings us uh, well. Actually, Toby Hooper, who's come up quite a bit in this episode, uh, is coming up yet again because uh, Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the 1974 original, uh, is, in my opinion, one of the most serenely disorienting horror films or films in general of all time. Uh, Following five teenagers as they drive through rural Texas into, in some cases, a literal meat grinder, uh, the film plays out with the dissolving logic of a nightmare. Uh, It's since legendary cinematography and sense of dread escalating into insanity have made it uh, one of the more remarked upon and influential horror movies, and uh, for good reason. Uh, It may not be the most frightening horror movie available, but certainly stands out as one of the most inspiringly mad works within the genre, and one that we covered at length uh, in one of our earliest episodes, so one to go back to as well. I will never forget when we sat in your bedroom and watched it all together (laughs) <laughs> that was that memory will never I'll never forget that screaming for like 15 minutes we were all like oh. <laughs> <laughs> um so my next pick is a surprise to me but it's a movie that I really enjoy every single time I watch it which is The Departed um 
it, I I like movies like this that are kind of just ruthless and and not ashamed of it. But um, this movie made me hate Matt Damon for as many many years. I'm sorry, Matt Damon, you don't deserve that. Um, like he's listening. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that this movie is great. I think it's a lot of people like Leonardo DiCaprio at their best. Awesome. Uh, some Boston representation. Um. My next film is American Psycho, directed by Mary Heron. Um, I, man, I fucking love this movie. It's definitely one of the most awkward movies I've ever watched with a parent. Um, (laughs) But um, I watched it when I was younger just because it was like a fucked up movie you were supposed to watch. And as I've gotten older, I've really just appreciated, um, I mean, in general films about like uh, unstable, like successful white men uh, and really like just dissecting what that means and how fucked up a lot of these uh, different like uh, archetypes can be. Christian Bale is so hilarious in this movie. It was also the first time I ever saw like a clip from Texas Chainsaw Massacre because he's watching it while he's working out in one of the scenes. Um, it's it's really, really funny. And I love that a woman directed a movie that was based on a Brett Easton Ellis novel because there are definitely a lot of issues with Brett Easton Ellis. So having the female lens in this movie, I think is so important. So uh, this is going to be our final round of movies. I realized I had accidentally skipped a movie um, and which made me kind of reevaluate. So, okay. I love this movie or this, the director, Mike Lee. I love, I love a lot of his movies and I've made a game time decision to change which Mike Lee movie I wanted to talk about. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. This is unprecedented. Unprecedented. So, uh, my my final pick is the movie Happy Go Lucky, um, 2008, starring Sally Hawkins. I highly recommend you see you watch this movie. It's actually a movie I would love to talk on the pod, like some future episode uh, with the podcast about. I think that it takes a very simple premise, basically uh, a woman who's just so positive about life, just positivity radiates through her being. Yet is one of the most philosophically complicated and taught movies that really surprised me um, at, at, at how it it sort of takes this sort of like Pollyanna character and makes a whole story uh, so fascinating and depicts one of the most intense scenes uh, revolving around driving lessons, which as a non-driver, <laughs> I thought was so great. Anyhow, this movie is wonderful. I, Sally Hawkins is absolutely brilliant. For my final pick, I just watched this movie a few weeks ago, and that is uh, 1999's The Matrix. Um, Yeah! uh, I can't believe I haven't seen this sooner than 2020. Um, 20 years later, in parody to death, uh, The Matrix really surprised me throughout the entire movie. Um, This movie proves you don't need a huge, sprawling universe with dozens and dozens of characters. All you need is sound story structure, compelling themes, and impressive special effects. Yes, uh, damn it. Really yes. A must watch. <laughs> and then I wrote here in my blurb, I can hear Dave saying, duh, for adding this to the list. Um, <laughs> Dave has pushed me for, at this point now, years um, to watch The Matrix. So I finally did just a few weeks ago, and I'm so glad I did. Glad it was a good fit. I figured it would be. 
Well, that brings us to my final selection, which uh, just so happens I've chosen mine alphabetically because I, it was too much pressure to rank them, uh, which resulted in my favorite film being the last selection, and that is um, 2007's or 2000 Seber, if you go back and listen to our episode um, via a little flub of mine that was repeated a few times for no reason. Um, 2007's uh, P.T. Anderson film, There Will Be Blood. Um, again, my favorite movie of all time. Uh, so I'll simply ask the crew, does it earn the spot? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. The milkshake um, scene I've seen memed quite a few times with the current unrest happening in the Capitol. For whatever reason, I've seen that. Maybe oh, really? Different memes, yeah. Damn. Well. This, this Christmas, uh, my brother and I were just sitting across from one another at the dining room table just going, I've abandoned my boy. I've abandoned my boy. <laughs> my parents were like, what are you guys doing? So that was the Christmas theme. I'm glad to see it remains relevant in all of our lives then. <laughs> uh, Dave, I remember when you brought this movie to the group and you and I had been talking and you were like, I don't know if you're going to like this. And I was like, not dreading it, but just being like <laughs> kind of apprehensive. And I loved it. And so you know that a movie is good if I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um. So, I mean... <laughs> with a grain of salt, I guess, because my final pick is a movie that I have forced onto my roommates by watching it, talking about it almost nonstop for all of 2020, which is Rocky IV. Um, this movie is wild. I mean, you really get to see some kind of violence that throughout the rest of the Rocky movies, I don't think that you see. I mean, Apollo dies and it is horrific. Um, but I picked this because, you know, it's just, it's so good. I think it's one of the best Rocky movies, but also, um, you know, it ended the Cold War with the very end, right? <laughs> if I can change, you can change, the whole world can change. So, hey, Mr. Gorbachev, change that as well. So if there's anything that can really impact us all and get us ready for 2021, it's Rocky Four. So my last pick is a movie that uh, I saw because I started getting into watching the Criterion Collection. And ever since then, I have spent way too much money on the 50% off sales uh, that they do like like twice a year. Um, so this movie is from 1966. It's called The Face of Another uh, from director uh, Hiroshi Teshigahara. Um, this is a movie that um, it's, yeah, it, is about a, a disfigured businessman who gets the surgery and he's able to get a totally different face. And then that having a different face just completely changes his personality. Um, it's a movie that kind of got me obsessed with the concept of identity in film and just how like certain like life altering events like this, like having a disfigured face, wearing a mask, something like this can change like a whole person's personality and what they eventually do. Um, I, this is, he's such a great director. I've seen three of his movies, but this is by far my favorite. Um, it's has this really, uh, heartbreaking relationship, uh, between like the husband and his wife, um, who, you know, he doesn't tell like when he changes his face, um, which leads to some interesting, um, events later on in the film. 
Um, but yeah, it really just like kind of changed my concept of, uh, of movies and then made me like want to start writing about these like crazy concepts that I kind of became obsessed with. Great movie. Yeah. Tori, have you seen the movie Seconds? With oh my God. Rock I saw it for the first time this year because I had trouble finding it. I fucking loved it. It's amazing. Yeah. I feel like very similar theme. I haven't seen the movie that you just, just described, but I feel like those would yeah. go hand in hand. Seconds is amazing. It was one of my favorite movies that I saw last year. Well, that is 100 movies for 100 <laughs> episodes. Um, thank you so much to all of our loyal listeners. I can't believe it's been 100 episodes, two and a half years. And honestly, I'm super excited for 2021. Um, this podcast has been for just me personally, a really great source of friendship, a great source of, you know, feeling creative of productive. And I really can't wait to continue this hard work that we've been doing into the future and to talk about many, many more movies. And if we get to episode 200, maybe we'll do another hundred movies to put into, uh, the butter with that chamber of movies. Uh, <laughs> the, chamber. Of <laughs> the chamber. Any other kind of final thoughts you want to share with our listeners before we, um, you know, put a pin in episode 100? I think the only memory that really matters is Summer of My Monkey. <laughs> oh my God. So for real, I had the thought, I was like, what if I put Summer of My Monkey in my top 20? But Connor was like, think of your favorite moments. I was like, literally the only thing I can think of is Summer of My Monkey. And it's not because there haven't been other great moments, but that was the only thing I thought. And that thought would not go away. <laughs> oh that's what summer of my monkey can do it's just yeah. sticks in your brain apparently <laughs> oh, similarly actually the one that really stood out for me all this time was the first time we played movie trivia and christine your 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 hints for uh the the name of the 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 crew the thunderbirds which for you is expressing to us does she have a car what do they do on that car <laughs> Which still gets me all the time. <laughs> <sighs> oh, man. So good. Well, thank you so much, our loyal listeners, uh, for supporting us through 100 episodes and hopefully 100 more to come and hundreds and hundreds. Potentially. <laughs> 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 um, once again, I've said it a few times. Thank you so much. Uh, be sure to stay tuned. We have lots of exciting news in the future and lots of more great movies to talk about as uh, we make our way through 2021. If you do watch some movies on our list, let us know at butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com or Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, let us know if you check out any of these movies because we recommended them. Yeah, send us some emails. It's been a while since we've gotten an email from a listener. So I would love, I've been crying myself to sleep every night for months and months, we've got no emails. So if you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. We would love to hear from our lovely fans. Help us help you. <laughs> and so with that, I say let's put a pin in episode 100. Uh, episode 101 will be coming to you soon. Uh, thanks so much for helping us get to this point. Yay! Woo! Good job, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>